Hey, nerds, open up your ears and get ready to listen to the Hurley Edition. Hey, it's me, Mike Hurley, and you're listening to the Hurley Edition podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking it out. I am here this week with a uh, another Sports Hub fellow. His name is James Murray. Perhaps you know him more as Big Jim Murray. He is the third voice on the Felger and Maserati program. Deals with Felger and Maz for a living. Can you even imagine what that's like? Uh, he also is, uh, you know, does the headline updates, does his shows on on Saturdays with Gasper, hosts some pre and post stuff for the Patriots, does some ads on Pandora, and used to work. In rock and roll, and and so he's got an interesting career. Let's 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 go ahead and talk about it. Big Jim Murray. All right, Big Jim Murray. Thank you for coming in. I know, the, I know it's a, little, a long commute from downstairs to up here, so I appreciate it. I'm honored you asked. I know that I'm following in the footsteps of many of the other uh, big personalities here. Fred Touchers, I, I enjoyed. Uh, so I'll try not to swear too, because initially it sounded like you could swear in this thing, but then I heard him beeped out, so I won't. I always tell people to swear because I don't want you to like sit there and self-edit, and I'll just put the beeps in because they throw corporate ads in and stuff like that. Okay. No, none of which I see. I don't really. It's, it's not really my benefit, but you know, someone's the someone's, company gets it. It doesn't trickle down to you. Someone's making coin on these great podcasts, but. Anyways, I did. There was a lot of good feedback on Fred, so not to put a lot of pressure on you, but uh, but there's a lot gotta, of pressure on me. Yeah, you got to deliver on the follow up. So, thanks for coming in. Uh, you are obviously on everyone's radio and televisions for 20 hours every week, being yourself. So I, I like to to you know sort of get to know the people beyond beyond the what, what's what's projected through the microphone. And this is one of the one of the things I like listening to this podcast for is because you know I I even learn things about guys that I've been working with here for a couple of years that I didn't know. So you know I'm happy to do it. Deep dark secrets. Yes. So where, where are you from? Malden, Melrose, um, M- Melrose. Okay. Uh, born and raised Melrose. Uh, graduated in 1994. It's where I reside now. Uh, I'm not too happy about that, which is ridiculous because it's a nice town and it's quiet and it's safe and it's an easy commute to get in and out of the city. My girlfriend breaks my balls about it every single time because when I say it, I def I always back it up and like Melrose butt. It's like when people say they go to Bunker Hill. It's Bunker Hill for now. Like I say I live in Melrose for now. Yeah. And there's really no shame in it. It's just I always had that stigma of once you leave your hometown, you should never go back to your hometown. And that still is in me. And yeah. which is stupid. Because again, it's a nice place. I live in a nice house. It's but I just there's some there's the stigma of well, you ended up in your hometown. You failed. Like that was that that was an odd stigma that I've I've always kept. I've always held on to since I was a kid. That's deep. Yeah, that is deep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's but Melrose seems immune from the whole. Like I'm from Arlington, which growing up was just a town that mm-hmm. you that exists, and now it's like well, Arlington. We don't. We're, it's like this like fancy hoity toity place where it's like why you have like 37 pizza places and nothing else. So I don't understand how that happened. But Melrose seems to still be Melrose now. Yeah. Oh, it definitely has the stigma of uppity though. Oh really? Um, yeah. And they put a Jackamos in there, which everyone is like pants <laughs> off for. It's like oh, it's the Jackamos of the North End and the same of the South End. It's it's the same owner, but believe me, it's different. It mostly blows, um, but it's the same thing like Arlington. It's a million pizza places. It's a million million hair salons, um, hockey rink. Yeah, hockey rink. Um, lacrosse, you know, is big with the high school. It's it's Malden with trees. Like it's it's nice, Malden but with like trees. everybody's got to calm the hell down. Like it's it's not like we're talking about you know it's one of the fancier zip codes in Massachusetts. Right. It's sort of like nice Medford. Yes. The Medford's nice. Now. Anyways, was there a point in your life uh, where you had a nasty towny accent? Yeah. Um, yeah, most of the most of until I went to college. Um, 
you know, and I went to a fake school. I went to Mass Communications College, which actually ended up getting swallowed up by the Art Institute of Boston. But one of the classes I took there was voice and articulation, which, and I forget the professor's name, but I owe that lady, like, everything. Because I definitely sounded like every other, you know, Maki and Sully guy around here. And you get a couple of drinks of me, and occasionally it will come back, and I'll drop my R's, but... You know, that class helped. I, I right. definitely sounded just like everybody else around here. I took that class senior year of high school, basically. Not for any reason. It just was like a class. And I was like, well, I talk like a real a-hole. Like, this is gross. And yeah. it just it really changed a lot of things. Yeah, I never really noticed it until I got in there. And when I realized I actually, you know, wanted to maybe follow radio as a career seriously, I realized, okay, like, it would be it would be in my best interest not to sound like yeah hey can you believe the effing Celtics there kid like <laughs> you don't want to I mean it's it it obviously works for some people but you know uh, like Eddie Andelman but right. um, but for me it, you know I wanted that to change it is weird though and something I always thought this wasn't really what I was thinking about hanging into this but if you listen to New York talk radio. They all have these like Long Island accents, and they're all like, "Oh, the the Yankees." Right. And no Joe one here. Joe Mike Francesa. Those yeah, guys, yeah, you go through all the, all the line, and uh, Craig Carton when he used to host the radio shows. Right. Um, you go here. No one, no one has that accent. It's it's kind of a weird thing where no one, you know, every single time Boston is depicted in a skit or a movie or a show, it's like the nastiest accent. But if you listen to our sports talk radio, you don't get any of that. There's one outlier that would be Danny Picard at E. Uh, of course, yeah, of course, the, of the Danny Picard podcast. You know, I, I've never met him. Seems like a nice dude. Um, I listen to him, but there's, but it's it, look, I like I always rank to me. I rank the uh, the the bad accents, and Boston's not actually not at the top to me. It's Philly. But there's something charming in listening to, to New York sports talk or New York radio. There's something about it. I don't. It doesn't bother me. The Boston accent still bothers me. So huh. when I listen to Danny, sometimes I have like a. There's always like a time mark. Sometime like there's a there's a time in my head that I'm like oh, I've had enough. Like I can't <laughs> listen to more, much more of this because it is grating. Um, but the New York thing, I I don't mind it that much. It's strange. Yeah, it's like the the devil. You would think the with devil, a, you know. You would think with the passion around here that there would be more guys that sounded like that. Right. Like a couple, yeah, but I don't know. But it is grating. My God, maybe that's why. Because some program directors are like, "Yeah, we we, we can't really have that." <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. But um, so, how did you once you know you fixed your voice and started talking like a normal person? How did you get your first foot in the ra- in the door at radio? So there was a, a professor there at uh, that that fake school, Henry Santoro, who was the news director at WFNX for years and years, and now he's over at uh, WGBH and. Um, so he he taught like a news class and just a, and a news and writing class, and he from day one uh, stressed the importance of get an internship, get an internship. And I kind of clicked with him, and so I I kind of begged him. I was like, listen, like get me into FNX. It was a station I listened to anyway, and you know, can you get me an internship? So I immediately got one, like the first couple of months of being in that class, and that was in uh, spring of nineteen ninety seven. And as soon as I stepped in the building, like I, I loved it, and the building was disgusting. Like where the, was it? It was at 25 Exchange Street in Lynn, uh, a filthy, horrible area where I swear in my mom's grave, like I found a dead body in the building once. Uh, Literally, like it was homeless and junkies. And I I stepped in one morning and there was a there was a a corpse laying there and in in, in like a San Jose Sharks old school starter jacket and jeans. And I just thought it was a passed out junkie. So I stepped over him. I didn't really bother any of those people because they were just looking for warmth. It was the dead of winter. And then the cleaning guy came up like two hours into the show. And and during a commercial break, he's like, "There's a effing dead body downstairs." Well, and I was like, "That's the dead body I saw earlier." And I, you know, kind of felt bad, but 
Um, Rock and roll, baby. Yeah, but they cleaned up that building, you know, a couple of years after I started my internship there. But like I said, when I first stepped in, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. There was an excitement about it. I know, you know, the, the business certainly isn't, isn't even what it was five years ago, but I've always been a radio nerd as soon as I got my taste of it. It's the only thing I ever felt like I was decent at. Um, and so, yeah, so spring of 97, and I kind of never really looked back. And they were independent, right? As yeah, it was, not a massive conglomerate station. Right. It was owned by the Boston Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. So what was it like in, you know, independent alternative radio life? It seems like an absolute joke of a life to live. Yeah, but, oh, oh, without a doubt. Um <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, so it's I mean everything's changed now. We're such an you know, everything's so politically correct now, but um, as evidenced by my corporate mandate not to swear on the podcast. Right. Uh, the, you know, the good thing about a, a working for an independent company, I've heard this from other people too, uh, you know, like the River, the uh, 92, the 925, the River, whatever, like that's an independent company. They kind of give you free reign. You got a long leash. You can get away with a lot. But on the other hand, it's with those companies, especially the Phoenix, like they would change their minds. It's seemingly every quarter, like one quarter or one year, it would be like, we don't care about the ratings as long as we're making enough money in terms of ad sales and then they would completely do a, a 180 and it would be you know now we care about the ratings and it's not about ad sales and they just y- you were dealing with a crazy person right. and crazy people and with a working with cbs or any other corporate structure i've worked for in radio at least there's there's a hierarchy you kind of have more of a structure you know what the deal is whereas working at the phoenix like i said like every few months it felt like something changed and, so, and it was drastic right so that sucked but otherwise like i mean when i and i recently started going back through like old tapes and stuff just to archive it i mean we got a, depending on the different morning shows i worked on or people i worked with like we got away with murder like stuff that would immediately get you fired today right pre-internet yeah but when you could say something and it wouldn't the only people that knew it were listening exactly yeah it's a nicer time. Yes, it was, it was, it's, 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 I miss it desperately. Now actually. it's like if yeah. you if you say the word "sit" with an extra uh, consonant stuck in there, it's on Twitter in like eight seconds. So right. like, Look at Murray swearing. It's insane. It really is. And I heard uh, Fred go off about this about Twitter and oh. everything this morning. And it's uh, you know, I, and I, at the risk of contradicting myself because I do really like Twitter. I I actually still think it's worthwhile at times. But he's right. Like this is it. Social media, how we interact with each other, like it's so detrimental. And someday down down the road, we're all going to be like, "Wow, we were really stupid." We're all going to be in support groups looking at each other, <laughs> like, "Why? Shaking. Why didn't we just put our phones in our pockets? We had people around us, yeah. loved ones, friends, family, make, and we were like, <laughs> screw you, pal.' Make phone calls, have actual conversations. Yeah, I've I've argued that I'm connected with so many more people now like through facebook people i would have lost touch with yeah. but i'm actually closely connected with like nobody because you're like oh yeah i know that person had a baby and i got married or whatever but you're not you're not having a phone call for 10 minutes ever it's just facebook updates and stuff like that yeah and i'm just as guilty like i tell you know my dad or my friends like only call, <laughs> only call me while i'm driving at this certain time so i don't have to hold the phone to my hand uh, to my to my head and it's you know just right and i think a lot of people do that now which is unfortunate but yeah the outside of my dad and like three of my friends the thought of making a phone call just like oh yeah. it makes me want a wretch well you do something pretty bold with social media because i mean i've come to learn there's no winning a fight on twitter like if someone comes at you with some sort of hatred angle you just sort of have to ignore it because it's not going to go anywhere you're going to get it when those like 12 strings back and forth and you're like whatever but you do your your periscopes where you do sort of q and a's in the car 
which is uh, a bull. I, I've watched a couple, but I mean, the questions come in fast and furious, and I'm not all of them are. Hey, Jim, I'm a fan. I enjoy your work. Right. Here's a question. It's you know sometimes screw you, a hole. So that's a kind of a bold move on your part. Yeah, and I do, and I've mentioned this too when I've started these. Uh, I mostly do them when I'm in traffic. I know it's illegal, and and, and but I, <laughs> I you know use the magnet on the back of my phone and I connect it to the, the vent in my car. And if I'm in standstill traffic, I'm gonna go on for like five ten minutes or whatever it is, just to pass the time because I'm like I'm. I've had, I'm not proud of this, I've had my license suspended twice for, not for any DUIs, just reckless driving, and because I drive like a lunatic, and I get really frustrated. I'm like road rage, I'm always like a hair away from road rage, I'm mm-hmm. one of those type of people. So, Do you carry a weapon in your car? Not anymore. Blunt object? There, were, there was a time that I did. In, <laughs> in my early 20s, I, did, I had like, a, I had like a, a, a beating stick, basically. Billy Club? Yes. It was so stupid. I'm you wanted to be like idiot. a cartoon cop from the right. 50s? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's a, call the cops. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I just do that to try to, to try to get my stress level down. And most, for the most part, it's like 70-30. People are like right. respectful and cool. And for the, for the a-holes, like whatever. Yeah, I mean. I've, I've taken it recently to actually like making a note to be nice to the good people because it's like they are the majority of it. Yeah. And when you get take what the what the a holes do to you and and apply it to the good people, then you're just ruining it yourself. But it's 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 more mathematics and gymnastics than I think anyone thought of when they signed up for Twitter. Yeah, and I think it's just this business as a whole too. Like um, I've found you, you got to you know. So I found you got to get out. Like you have to actually like meet people. If you stay, if you just do these kind of jobs, and especially in this format, in an area like this where people are this passionate about sports, if you just do this, you show up in the studio and you like never go out and like happen to be out and meet people that listen, then you're going to get a, I think you get jaded and you're going to have phone calls or people that like break your balls on, on social media. Like it's going to get to you and you're going to start to get really jaded and really angry and think that that's the majority of the audience, which it isn't as it is. Even the phone calls, I think it's like three to 5% of the people that actually call any of these type of shows. It's like the people who leave a comment on a story. Yeah. It's like three to 5% of your actual audience. And so there was a time, especially during the Celtics postseason, where, you know, I had my thing where the Celtics fans were driving me crazy. And I, the NBA as a whole, it's a bigger picture thing that the league is just for the foreseeable future. It's, it's Cavs and Warriors, and it didn't feel like it was going to be that way until uh, Gordon Hayward got hurt, unfortunately. But especially last season, like, yeah, it was was some trolling going on. Absolutely. And at that point, I had some other things in my personal life that were going on that were stressing me out. And I became an a-hole about it. And then I really got angry and snapped at people. And then I remember being out. I think we did the show from the garden at one time. And I like, met a couple of people. And like a dad said his kid wanted to like take a photo. And I was like... I had this decompressed moment where I was like, wow, I've been like complete, like, I've been a dick. Like, I, I got to like rein this in and realize like not everybody that calls and not everybody that listens is, has to be adversarial about this, right. you know? So I think it's important, especially here with how crazy people can get, like, you got to get out, you know? Right. And one of the things that's helped me recently is so I took a job with the Patriots doing pre and post on Patriots.com. So I'm at the games, which is awesome. And, you know, I would want to go anyway. James Murphy. Yeah, right. Yeah, they 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 had my card say James Murphy from uh, LCD Sound System. So <laughs> Same thing. Uh so, and I don't like, even before when I had press passes with other jobs and got to go to the games, I don't know how you feel like, but I've seen you there, like, and I know you're covering it and you got to write on it, but like, I, dude, I hate being in the media lounges. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I think it's, it's so, so sanitized. Yeah. And the excitement of sports is just completely sucked out. Oh, it blows. And the, so the very first time I ever got one. So back to the FNX thing real quick. Yep. So I, uh, oh, I have plenty of FNX questions. So don't worry. What I mostly ended up as was the sports guy on different permutations of morning shows. So when I realized that like letterhead, 
you could really fool the world with letterhead. So I was able to get a press pass to the Red Sox. The first time I got to go in there was like 2002, three, either way. I mean, I got in there and my first day, Mike, I called my buddies on a payphone up there. I'm like, you'll never believe where I am. And I cheered. Like in the first inning when the Red Sox got a run and everybody, like it was everybody turned and looked at me. And Maz doesn't remember this. And Michael Holly, who I've only met like once or twice, doesn't remember this. But I've told them this now multiple times. Or Holly once other, one other time I saw them. I was like, the only two people that were nice to me the first time I was in there and trying to like, you know, get my feet wet and figure out what to do with a press pass were Maz and Michael Holly. Everyone else was a raging a-hole and seemed like all that anybody cared about was whether or not the soft serve machine was working that mm-hmm. day. And it's and now that I've been behind the scenes more, I'm like, oh, this is really how it always was. Like, oh, yeah. that taste of it really was that. Oh, yeah. That was a microcosm of everything. So, um, so yeah, where was I going with this? Oh, so, yeah. So, I, I realized early, that very first day, I was like, I don't ever want to be in the press booth. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. I'll go to standing room. So, that's what I do with these Pats games. And I'll just walk around because I like being around. You know, I still want, as it is, it's tough for me to go there and, like, not get hammered and yell like an a-hole. Like, right. the Pats are the one team out of all the big four here that I still care way too much about. So, it's uh, it's nice. It's good for me to, like, get out and yeah. you know, and, and uh, shake hands and kiss babies and stuff. I think it, it, it keeps you more level-headed. That's a good point. The, uh, the 2013 playoffs the lcs and world series i was in the auxiliary box in right field mm-hmm. and it was great you're like at the game and it's like you know humans interact with you and people like give you a hard time and like go back and forth with you and ask you questions and like it's loud yeah and you can feel the air it's not just this like just sanitary quiet environment where you can hear everyone fart on each other oh that one at gillette too that so that blue level where you guys are that are right and it's like i, I dude after the first day i was in there i was like i was there for 30 seconds i was like nope <laughs> i'm like no way this is this is not what i want to be at it takes some getting used to yeah and there's a lot of uh, everyone's a comedian in that room i don't know if you knew that oh, but it's, okay. it's, uh, it's <laughs> classic when the jokes start flying a lot of one-liners um back to fnx mm-hmm. uh because i've had hardy on and i've had fred on and they both uh, basically are still traumatized by having to play so much Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. What is the FNX band or song that is still like, if you heard it, would just send shivers down your spine? Oh, what a good question. Um, it could I mean, be Chili Peppers, but I don't think you guys played it as much as BCN did. No, they they were more, they were definitely the Chili Peppers and Sublime Station. I mean, those two bands drive me crazy. Sublime more than anything else. Even though I like Bad Fish, but everything else by Sublime drives me crazy. You know what it is? was still even to this day, and it's uh, it's... It's shipping up to Boston because we played the hell out of that too. I, I mostly hate everything Dropkicks, but particularly that song. It's so obnoxious. It's so it's so towny, yeah, guy. It's like <laughs> it's every bad stereotype about this city in a song, and I hate it. And it's not good. And so, and there were different eras of of FNX. Like there was definitely a butt rock era that I was there, where we played Godsmack and Limp Bizkit and all that stuff. Uh, but. You know, even in the fun years, yeah, that that shipping up to Boston is just such a terrible song. I, it's impossible I, to remember, like, to think of it in any way other than what it became. Because I remember the first time I heard it was in The Departed, and it was that scene where they're on the Zakum, and yeah. you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> and then within, like, a month, it was like, I'm going to jump off the roof if I hear the song again, <laughs> right. which I guess was no fault of the song itself as much as it was the whole push behind it so yeah so yeah so that's the one i mean there's a bunch but that's, that's definitely answer. the one i'm still traumatized by and when did you leave fnx so I, they, they closed up in what like 2012 you were gone already right yeah so yeah they sh- they completely shut down 2012 i got blown out in may of 2010 and was that when you tried to get fired you've shared like parts of the story but like only <laughs> as, only as much as felger will allow the grab assery before he's like all right we, we gotta get back to the pass right. rush now yeah we have to talk sports yeah. yeah so i knew so what happened was and so i I got I signed the paperwork there I think three separate times. I had three different full-time jobs there. And then from 08 
07 to 10 where it was the most fun I've ever had in this business, without question. I worked with like my best friends. It was ridiculous what we, what we got away with. The guys in the morning show, like all these people, I'm still friends with them. I've been in their weddings and so on and so forth. That's great. But by the end, uh, end of 2000, 2009, they ended up, the company ended up hiring a consultant. And like that was October of 09. And my, the, my, one of my best friends who was the program director then, he knew too, but he wouldn't admit it. And I knew deep down. Like I've just, I, I've always had uh, this innate read of when the, the when the crap is going to hit the fan. And I knew I was like, oh, we're all done. Like this guy's going to be this guy's going to be the death bringer. And sure enough, he was. A couple of months later, like first of January, uh, blows out the morning show. I got, uh, I was still so I was afternoons and production director, which was fancy for making commercials. In case people don't know, but you, you know because you work in the business. Sort um, of. So the, this na- this new boss took me off afternoons i was still going to remain the production director but i now had to work weekends as well it was such an emasculating uh demotion but i also couldn't be mad because they i got replaced by adam 12 who's a good dude and like anyone that listened to bcn like you know the guy's he's as solid a rock jock as you'll hear right so i get that it wasn't like i was being replaced by a hack but it still was somewhat emasculating it was like oh really come on and i hated this guy from the rip so you've been there for how long uh so this time that was years yeah, off and on, 13 years. I mean, there was other dips I took in, like, you know, I worked for Rock 101 in New Hampshire. I took a job with the now-defunct G4 network, but off and on for, like, 13 years. And this time, this full-time job was uh, stretch was 07 to May of 2010. But after I took that demotion, yeah, oh, I started getting... I was so like I every day I was like I don't care if this is the day because I had a uh, I had a, a decent amount of time left in my contract. I knew they were going to have to pay out a chunk of it, so... Um, you know, my day was supposed to start at like nine. I would show up at ten, ten thirty. I would go to take. Uh, my, I would get a half hour lunch break. I'd go for like an hour and a half. <laughs> I'd go get baked and then go like sit at the Whole Foods and Swamp Scott and just watch like Yummy Mummies and hang around and be like whatever. And I'd go back and I'd be late for clients that needed to come in and cut their stupid spots. Like every day, Mike, I was like, I don't care. If this is the day because you're gonna have to pay me out. And then finally. You know, I, like there's the onions in the ceiling story. Like, so they had drop ceilings. The building was such a, a like a, a disaster anyway. Like, I would just do childish stuff, like throw trash in the drop ceiling in my office. Uh, I would throw this one particular time. It was like all this big chunk of it. Sometimes you get a sandwich and they don't cut the the, uh, the onion hasn't been sliced thin enough. It was like big chunks of onion. So I just was throwing onions up into the drop ceiling. Just all this obnoxiously childish stuff that I was like, fine, catch me. What are you going to do? Fire me? Because you're going to have to pay me out. And so finally... It's pretty cool that you were 13 years old when this was all going. Yeah. <laughs> well, the worst of all that I didn't get fired for this. I don't know if I've. Yeah, I've definitely not admitted this much, but I'm going to tell this story because it's the statute of limitations is up. <laughs> uh, so again, as the production director, I'm responsible for voicing and producing like a lot of these in-house commercials. And one of was uh, one of which was so uh, WFNX was like this ragtag operation. We didn't just have the station here. We had a signal in New Hampshire. It was 92.1 that like five people listen to. And so one of the advertisers up there was like a gun range or a gun shop or something. And uh, sometimes when I would cut these commercials, like I would just, for my own entertainment, like add ad lib or say stuff at the end. And then I'd cut it out. And obviously it would have to be approved by the clients and it would end up airing. So for this gun shop, I end up cutting this commercial. Like a week later, my boss calls me frantically and he's like, what did you do? What did you do? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's, You're going to have to specify, sir. What did you say on this, this gun shop commercial in New Hampshire? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to see me as soon as you get in. He goes, this is like DEFCON 1 level bad. I'm like, what, the, what did I do? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, 
oh, I know what I did. Because, again, I was going to lunch all the time and, like, smoking a bunch of weed and coming back like a stoned idiot and then cutting these commercials. So, to try to make this short story a little bit shorter, what I ended up doing was saying, you know, cutting this commercial perfectly, adding the music. But at the end, it was like, so, you know, check out Smith's Gun Shop in uh, Rumney, New Hampshire at 603, blah, 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 blah. You effing hick geeks. <laughs> With the F in there. We looked at the log. It ran 37 times. 37 times this commercial ran. In New Hampshire? Just in, or, just in New Hampshire. Okay, not in Massachusetts, because that might have made, made, made the news. That, at the end, I call the audience a bunch of effing hick geeks. I never got fired for it. We delete the commercial. So in the, the program director, in cahoots with the guy who's, um, this guy David, who's a sweetheart of a man, who uh, was the controller, who would you know make sure the commercials got played and would take account of them so that, the, that we could bill the, the, the client and make sure we got paid. We, the three of us, were like, we're deleting this. It never happened. We're going to make sure Mike, who was the prick boss that ended up being, you know, the one that gutted the station, he's not going to find out about this. The salesperson really never heard it. So there was like this odd complaint that came in from one listener. Again, thankfully, nobody listened. Nobody listened. The client never heard it. The salesperson never heard it. Nobody really ever heard it except for this one person. But it ran 37, 37 times. Seven times, Mike. So it ended up getting up to the chain of command of the prick boss. And we all just were like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't, I don't know. And I never got fired for it. It's unbelievable to me that of all the things that I never really got fired for. But finally, at the end, it was, they were, I never really got fired for performance or anything. That was like, it was a cost-cutting thing. They were getting rid of the position. They were going to now farm out production to different part-timers. And that was it. In May of 2010, like they were done. They paid me out for a few months. And, and that was that. Doesn't sound like it was a heartbreaking moment for you. No, I was pretty happy at that point. Again, the guy that was that they put in charge is easily, without question, the worst human being I've ever worked for. Uh, the first day he came in, rather than uh, trying to um, you know make everybody feel comfortable, it was a different situation. Look, we're going through it now. You know, we don't know who's buying us. We don't. Know, I mean, this, this, I'm I'm definitely paranoid about what could happen right now. But I don't know if it can ever be as bad as when this guy came in. There's articles about this guy, right? I feel like you've shared an article or two about him. Um, maybe. Mike Tierney is his name. I'll throw the name out there. He's horrible. He doesn't work in the business anymore. I think he works for Apple now. But uh, he, he had us all sit down and read a, a, literally read a children's book. We would pat a children's book about, like, daddy's job is changing. And it was, we, he would make us pass with, like, each page. Like, I'd have to read a page. And the next person would read a page. And if there's... You know, that sounds almost like a weird fetish type thing he's got going on there. Everyone's got a regret in life. Mine is that when it came to me... And it, it the whole time... <laughs> dude, I was like... I was in boiling rage as this was happening. And looking around and seeing all of my coworkers and friends of mine emasculated. And when it came to me, I, I thought about it, but I was such a puss. Because I should... If I could go back in time and relive this moment, I would have taken the book and told him to go F himself and thrown it at him. Like, that's the one thing I wish I could redo, because ultimately, like, all the childish nonsense and saying F and hit geeks at a commercial, like, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, I got a couple extra stories out of it, but I wish I took that book and flung it at his stupid head and told him go F himself, because I've never seen anything like that. It's the most unprofessional thing I've ever been a, a part of. I, I still, to this day, can't believe that that happened. I don't have a lot of experience managing uh, in management. I don't I don't have, you know, that that. I, I probably couldn't step into a job like that and knock it out of the park, but I probably, in an environment 
of a rock radio station with that type of attitude around, I wouldn't make them read a children's book aloud in a circle. Yeah, especially when people knew that there was going to be a lot of changes. Like, again, you know, even if you knew that you were going <laughs> to MF some of these people, I would think you'd want to do it in a more professional manner. And well, he would talk in riddles. He wouldn't <laughs> meet with people. But if he did meet with you, air checks could literally be up to three hours. He would go over, like, each individual word. He was horrible. It was He was absolutely horrible. I mean, all anyone ever wants is to be spoken to like an adult. And literally, right. you had a children's book placed yeah. in your hands. On day one. So when they finally closed the doors in 2012 after you were gone, I imagine, I mean, as like a random listener in the Boston area, I was let down because our stations to actually listen to were dying music-wise. So that was a disappointment. But from your perspective, I, I imagine you saw it coming from, from a mile away. Yeah. And it's still a little bit bittersweet. Again, you know, there's people, and thankfully they've been able to hang on and get jobs at... Um, you know, that radio BDC thing that they've done at the Globe, like mm -hmm. Julie Kramer and Adam 12 and some of these guys, like, you know, they, I didn't want anyone losing their jobs, but there was a part of me that was like, ha ha, screw you. And the Mindiches suck too. The people that own the Phoenix and don't own that station because they, they didn't need to sell it. Like that was just to get the cash grab from Clear Channel at the time. And, uh, but on the other hand, like, you're right. Like you listen through the dial. Is there anything like that station? Is anyone breaking new rock music? No. Like even well, uh, country music, you got a couple country options now. Well, right. Yeah. Now the Clear Channel bought it and they made it uh, the, the bull, which is like the big. It doesn't feel right. I know. It really does. It's doesn't. been years. It's been years, but still, when you put 1017 and it's like, what? What the hell is this? Right. It, does, it just feels wrong. And even the alt station that we have here now, uh, you know, I find almost unlistenable because it's sublime, the chili peppers, stained, and like all that butt rock stuff. It's like this, this isn't, you can't, you can't brand yourself an alt station. This is where you're going to play. Like it's a crock. This isn't what it is. So right. it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of annoying. It's sad. I do miss it. You miss, you know, the height of it. But I do. I'm sure at that point it was sort of, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. A, a birdie in this building, I'm sure you won't be able to... Uh, to identify him by even if you you wouldn't be able to i'm sure informed me that you almost worked at bcn yeah so, but something happened oh yeah yeah no this is so embarrassing and i <laughs> hate that this happened i'm so again proof of what an idiot i can be uh so it was had to be dan o'brien because dan o'brien at the time was assistant program director there so you know growing up around here even though fnx was the cool station again like they had a 5,000 watt signal and nobody really gave a damn outside of the people that were the hardcore listeners. Like I was a BCN guy. I grew and the up guy who died there also. Right. <laughs> and I, you know, I grew up listening to BCN. My mom uh, in both stations, but BCN was a monster. And uh, you know, I remember my parents listening to Dwayne Glasscock and 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 you know the Big Mattress and all this kind of stuff. So I always wanted to work at BCN. Who wouldn't? So I finally get this opportunity at a time where I was part-time at FNX and running my own dog-walking operation. This was like 2006-ish. And Dave Wellington was the pro uh, program director at BCN at the time. And he has me come and he's like, hey, we have a part-time opening. And I was like, sweet, I'll take it. Like, I, I you know, I just want to get my foot in the door. And so I'd never worked overnights before. And he said, your first shift will be the Friday night overnight. No, the Saturday night overnight is what he said. Uh, is... And so I was like, okay, Saturday and overnight. Like, I will be there. I'll do this shift. Great. Pumped. Learn how to do, uh, work the board from Adam 12 for a couple of days. So that was a couple of days I came in to train. And then that following Saturday night overnight is when I was supposed to get my first shift. If someone told you you had to work the Saturday night overnight, when would you show up? Like 11 p.m. on Saturday night? Thank you. You went on, it was supposed to be on Friday. He meant... He meant that, yes, the Saturday night overnight is what, what he, into how he meant Saturday. into Saturday. I literally showed up 24 hours late for my one and only shift at BCN. But here's the thing. So <laughs> it was 06. It's not like cell phones didn't exist. Everyone had them. Nobody called me. 
There was no, because normally if you're like five minutes, even if you're not there five minutes before your shift, you know the person on before you, especially at a rock station. It's like, I got to get out of here. Where are you, dude? You're going to be here, blah, blah, blah. Right. None of that happened. Nothing. So I show up. Uh, I think it was, I forget who was on the, the, the air. It might have been Shred or something like that on at the time. And I showed up and I was like, hey. And the dude was like, yeah, hey. I'm like, uh, I'm on. He's like, nope. And he goes, oh, you're the guy who was late. And I was like, what? He's like, you were supposed to be here last night. And that, and like that dread. It's like I a felt, bad dream. Yeah, I felt like hot immediately. And I was like, oh, no. What? And he's like, yeah, look at the schedule. And sure enough, I look at the schedule, which I didn't have. And it had me like Friday into Saturday, not Saturday into Sunday. And so so Dan, it turns out like Dan was on vacation. Dave Wellington was like away. So it was this weird like perfect storm of, yeah, you were in trouble, but no one could get in touch with you. And Dave didn't know my cell phone. So like, not, I felt like nothing happened. So the following Monday, I come to the station hat in hand. But here, oh yeah, no, it took a few days. What ends up happening in between this is that FNX offers me the full-time job that I end up taking, the production director in afternoons there. And so I have this, I ended up showing up like hat in hand to Dave to be like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I also have to quit. (laughs) So you can't hire me. I quit. Yeah. And he was like, he wasn't really mad. And he was like, what? He's like, so what about the days you trained? And I go, let's just forget any of this happened. (laughs) And he's like. You came in for two days and trained for. I'm like, no, let's just not do any paperwork. Let's let's like, have this a weird blip in my career. And <laughs> thanks for the opportunity, but I'm going to go back to FNX now. So I technically, yes, got hired to work at BCN, but I never got to work a shift there, which kills me. It absolutely kills me. It's a good story though, considering where B- well, that was 06. Yeah, you, you went and had a very long career at BCN anyway. Right. So I know, and it's not like I would have probably gotten any kind of full time opportunity there, but. Wow. It would be nice to have that air check, right. you know. Yeah, so. you can still do it now. You got microphones. What time do you need to leave? By the way, um, you got me till oh, like two minutes at two. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. So, h- how did you get started with the sports hub? Because I remember you on the sports hub, but I feel like you're sort of like shipping up to Boston, though you're not as you're not crappy like shipping up to Boston. But I only can really like conceptualize you in your second run with the sports hub. So when you were you just sort of weekends and, and yeah. So again, I got fired in that uh, that May of 2010 at FNX, and then Adam Twelve, who again replaced me in the afternoons, was here, and he got blown out at I think he was at Mix or whatever he was doing. Like so, BCN shut down, and he was doing shifts on Mix and other places. He got me in touch with, he shot, he shot me an email. He's like, hey, you should talk to Mike Thomas. I think they're looking for, like, anchors, you know, j- you know, not doing shows, but just, like, and I was like, fine. At that, t- at that point, I was, like, collecting unemployment, and then that was running out, so I started bartending again and working at uh, all these, like, other little, weird little side jobs. I was working at <laughs> under the table for a little bit. Like, nice. that was great. Uh, you might want to cut that part out. A little cash in the wallet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll put a big beep on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I got in touch with Mike and then Rick Radzik and then sent over like a quick little demo of what an update would be. And yeah, so I got part-time October 2010 and then just kind of, I knew immediately, I was like, this is what I want to do. I'd love to be able to do like a weekend shift. What were you doing? Like filling in on, on headlines? Yeah, kind of like what Sean Silver, Sarge, these guys are. You know, someone's okay. out, you would fill in. I think the first shot, shift I did was uh, on with uh, uh, Zoe and uh, and then why and Gresh, Gresh and Zoe. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, liked it, and I wasn't going to come in here and be like, I'm going to try to push my weight around and, and act like I deserve some kind of job. I just, like, showed up, did what I did, and, and if anything broke, cool. 
and uh, nothing I knew was going to. I, I I could tell immediately this was a type of station someone had to get fired or die for me to get any kind of opportunity. So I kept things realistic. I thought about going back to school at that point because it didn't seem like anything was going to break. I still tried to look for radio jobs, but I was just working like a million jobs. And then I kind of got a good rapport with Andy, um, and I feel like Gresh gets kind of like a, a bad rap of like being a complete a-hole. But then again, I think if he likes you, he likes you, and if he doesn't like you, he's going to let that be known. Right. And so he knew his buddy who was the program director down in Atlanta, he knew the station was going to flip from rock to sports. He said there's full-time opportunity down there. This was 2012. He's like, if you want to chase this, I can get you in touch with them. He'll probably get you a job, and that's what I ended up doing, and that's how I left here in 2012 and taking the job down there. Okay. That helps provide some background because I knew that you went to Atlanta under your own volition to talk sports on the radio, which seems to me like... Not the most, uh, I don't know the right word, life, it wouldn't give you a lot of life, I feel like, talking uh, all sports in Atlanta all the time. Yeah, I was in a weird spot in my life personally, though, because I knew, again, I knew nothing was going to break here. I just knew that, like, not not as a knock on the station, I just knew it. I mean, that's just the way the situation was. Uh, I was literally at one point in 2012, before I took that job, working seven jobs, um... There's I, only seven days in a week. Yeah. Oh, no. I worked every single day, bartending, waiting tables, doing voiceover stuff here, WBZ AM. Like, I was making enough money, but I was, you know, running myself ragged. Right. But I'd gone through, like, a really bad breakup that kind of, like, screwed me up for a bit, and I didn't want to be around here anymore. And then this thing popped, and I was like, well, I got no reason to leave. Like, it's a three-hour flight tops. Like, I can always come back and see family and friends. So I was right. like, screw it. I'm going to do this. And the job description changed, too. So I initially was told you were going to be a full-time anchor on some show. And then all of a sudden it was like, just like that in a matter of a week, the guy was like, now I think you got some chops and Andy says good stuff about you. You're going to be the nighttime host from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And I was like, what? <laughs> so That's a lifestyle change. Yeah. That's... But I was up for it. And I think it, you know, it, it certainly made me better. And I'm glad I got an opportunity to do it. But uh, yeah, it, um, once that job description changed too, it made it more enticing. So I was like, yes, I will absolutely do this. I, uh, I was going through the Falcons game recently, watching that one, and couldn't help but notice that in a game-tying or winning scenario with two minutes left, the stadium was half empty. Are the fans down there as bad as they get credit for? Yep, they are. Uh, and some get extremely defensive about it. Because Except for, obviously, the University of Georgia. It's, obviously. It's UGA and everybody else. And it's funny that it's funny you said that. So this past Saturday, uh, before the game, uh, with the show I do with Casper, a buddy of mine who's their pre- and post-host for Falcons and Hawks, I had him on to talk about the game. And his first thing he said, he was like, he made the knock of, he's like, well, because I said, I'm like, hey, are people hyped about this game? He's like, well, it's not UGA, who's number three in the country right now. Like, that's what it is. People care about them dogs, and then everything else is kind of an afterthought. Um, that's going to be hard to just philosophically understand, because to me, I mean, we obviously aren't a college sports town right. at all, and I just look at college sports as like, these people are heavily invested in the athletic exploits of 20-year-olds who don't even shave yet, and yet... It's 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 like life controlling and and I I mean I get all sports at that level at any level is stupid to care about but especially on college when you look at it like that you're like wait what? yeah and it's it's kind of gross and so being a Yankee and, and you know they get real oh, angry because yeah. you don't understand it Yankee but you know they they make such a big thing about signing day and I'd be like you you want me to talk about sixteen year olds for like two hours like I'm not doing that I'm uncomfortable about it and this is gross and like who cares right but that's like that's like religion down there so. That took a big adjustment. You know, the year I went down there, the the Falcons made it to the NFC Championship game and puked all over themselves and ended up losing to the Niners. They, I think they had a 17-0 lead. Big shock. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, 
you know, there was buzz, but not that much. Like people weren't despondent when they lost. They were more, more they were more upset when they had an opportunity to win the SEC championship game and literally had it on like the ten yard line and blew it against Alabama that year. So um, you know, it was an adjustment. I'm glad I got to learn more about college football and being in that environment like Saturdays. I do miss that. But the bigger thing, Mike, is you know, you look around looking at that tape and you see empty seats. It's the it's the LA of the South. There's too many options. If people are fickle, it's extremely transient. There's the nightlife is too much like I don't know. Like people care, yeah, but it's not. It's not like it is here, Philly, New York, Chicago, anywhere. It just like doesn't that. matter as much. No, it doesn't. And there's and it's it's like there. It's Hollywood South. Like there's just there's so many other options in terms of entertainment and other things that can pull people away from it. So as soon as a team sucks or they get the sniff of like no, this team's not for real, like people just bail. Yeah. Well, so around it's weird because it was obviously you said someone would have to die to come back. Gresh still with us, uh, but uh, left. Was you know it's weird because Gresh got you that job in Atlanta and then his departure is the one that sort yeah. of opened the door for you to come back. Uh, but obviously you've ended up with the Felger Maserati program now for that was in like what February of 2015. Yes, yeah. So, so it you're was, like two and a half years now. Correct. Yeah, and so at that point too, so I had left Atlanta, went to Connecticut to do top 40 mornings. And, oh really? Yeah, and that was that was uh, kind of a two reason, a two prong thing as to why I took that job. Uh, I had to get out of Atlanta for my own health because again, I was working mm. nights. Uh, I was living like a vampire, drinking too much. Like I, from my contract was up, and I'm like, I got to get out of this city. Like if I was 26 rather than 36, I could do a few more years here. But I'm like, I got to get the hell out of here. And the other thing was that we had just the station had just taken on the Atlanta Hawks. Again, I worked 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. I really couldn't get a straight answer as to what my role was going to be, and right. that annoyed the hell out of me. And I was like, "Screw this!" So I had this opportunity. Uh, that Jim was, Murray on Hawks post game. Yeah, and like, yeah, when they're supposed to talk about, you know, Al Horford. Yeah, yeah right. At that time, yeah, uh, let's talk up Jeff Teague for two hours. <laughs> like, who gives a rat's ass? And nobody cares about that team in that town. Um, so see some guys that I worked with at FNX who have now taking these big roles in Connecticut in this company, Connoisseur Media, uh, uh, you know, offered this up to me. And I was like, screw it. I never worked this format. The money was way better. I'd be back in New England, and I missed that too. So I was like, even though it's Connecticut, really just fake New England, but still. Uh, you can smell New England from there. Yes. So uh, I took the job, and it was mornings, and like I said, I'm doing top 40. Um, it was tough. It's the, the with all due respect to my buddies who, you know, gave, gave me that, that uh, opportunity at the time. And I've talked with this with them. Like it's the the least I've liked working in radio in the seventeen years I worked in radio. It was the same twelve songs. No, it's just the most it ever felt like a job. Mornings, mm. unless you're doing really well, like Tucker and Rich are, or the guys across the street. Like it ain't worth it, dude. Like I've said this, and I mean it. Like if I were to make seventy grand working mornings in radio, like I'd much rather like be a bartender or wait tables. It ain't worth it. It's it's so unhealthy. It's uh, I mean you. Talk to Fred and listen to it. Like I get, well, we I, did a show together, you and I, at right. six in the morning, and for the first hour, we just burped in each other's faces. Oh, like just, my body. So, and I, I don't know if I said it that day. My body revolts. It literally does, dude. Like I don't poop. You talk when about I, your poop schedule. I, it's so bad. My and my body is like, what are you doing? And Brian I have the big baby. Like and, no, yeah, absolutely not. And I keep drinking all this coffee to keep myself awake, and it dries you out. And I and like I ended up that year and a half. I worked in Connecticut. I lived on Miralax. 
and like all of this these weird things you had to take to to make yourself poop, which is horrible. I was <laughs> always tired. Listening to Fred, I was like, oh, I, I feel that paranoia again. How he talks about he's always tired, and those hours make him give him anxiety. And it's like this is this, yes, this, all of it. And I know those dudes are making good money, and it's if you're making that kind of money, it's worth it. But otherwise, still, dude, like you can't. Your it's body not doesn't healthy. know. No, your body doesn't know what your paycheck is. Your body's like this is not human. Yeah. So. uh so when that call came and I knew that there was changes happening here, I was right about done there. Um, they had offered me more money, but I was kind of at my wits end. My co-host, who, at the t- who I'm still friends with, but on the air, like we were ready to kill each other. And there was every <laughs> single day I was like, I don't know how much more I can do this. Like it, I, it's not worth my health and my sanity. And then that call came and it was, you know, like me or Keith and a couple other guys that I think were up for it. And they went with me and it was like, oh my God, I've been saved. So, uh. So you had a Patriots Super Bowl victory to enjoy, and then that within like what a month? Yeah, or yeah, but around was, the same time. But it was re- be- the, it's funny. The the ironic thing about the Pats going to the Super Bowl that year was the timing screwed everything up. Like yeah, yeah. So yeah. I started talking to our boss here end of January, and then I didn't really hear anything for weeks. And I'm like, oh, this died. Like this died on a vine, and I oh, I'm stuck in Connecticut, and uh, and it was like. Two days after the Pats won the Super Bowl, and Mike got back in touch with me. He was like, hey, obviously things have been crazy. We've been out in Arizona, and, you know. Deflategate. Yeah, and then just like that, he's like, so I'm going to send you paperwork, and you need to make this decision. And I was like, oh, because there was part of me. I was like, this died. I've resigned myself to, like, I'm going to be in Connecticut forever, and this is what my radio career is going to be, just doing, like, mom radio in the mornings. And then Lady Gaga is pretty good, though. Oh, and some of the, some of the Taylor Swift catalogs are okay, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that happened real, real fast. As most of these things do, I feel like, in this stupid business. Right. So, Hey, guess what? Marty had a lot of stories. And he also has a job that he had to go do. So he's going to go do that job, and then we're going to pick this up later. In our lives, in our reality, in our realm of existence, Murray and, Murray and myself, it will be later. But for you, it will be right now. If you can wrap your heads around that, here comes part two. All right, part two. Jim Murray, back. Thanks for coming back. I kind of like the multi-day feel. I don't know if you ever saw Frost Nixon. Uh, I didn't. Come back next day. You know, you know, we basically exchanged some blows in the first one. Now we know each other's strategy. Now we really know how to attack. All right. I'm going at the body. I like it. No, uh, but I did. I it's did. very soft, that body, so you can work <laughs> it a lot. I, uh, I checked in. Uh, you, you suspected the birdie that told me the BCN tidbit was Dan O'Brien? Yes. Incorrect. Erroneous. It was actually Hardy. Oh, that would make sense, too. Considering who was the person who got boned by your not showing up? You're kidding. He was 7 to midnight, had like a baby at home. This was what, 06? 06, yeah. Yeah, had a baby at home and got stuck there. Didn't know your number. Dan was on vacation and he had to work like 12 oh. to 4 in the morning. So. Oh, that makes it even funnier. I mean, I feel bad, but that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the good news is he's not over it in any way. So, uh, yeah, yeah well. you know, you might have to buy him like a, a uh, what do you call it? One of those fruit bouquets. Uh, oh, the edible nope. arrangements. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he wants one of those. All right. All Fair right. enough. But So I, I wanted you back in, and thanks for coming back, because if you did a podcast and we didn't talk about your time and role on Felger and Maz, people would probably be a little confused. Yeah, especially considering that just about any time that I'm out and it's someone that's a fan of the station or the show, everyone's like, tell Felga fill in the blank. Tell you, Felga fill in the blank. Usually or a swear word. F himself. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, I mean, we got a few things to talk about that, but I mean, a lot of people say they get sick of the negativity on that show. They say, oh, it's always negative, negative, negative. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you sort of 
it seems like you bathe the negativity a little bit. Like you kind of, you know, you rub it on your arms and it just makes you feel like you. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I, um, you know, I think that's maybe one of the reasons I fit. Uh, maybe they were looking for something a little bit more balanced when I came in. I just, I'm not like, I'm not Joe Positive fan. I still come from, I've said this maybe before or to friends or I don't know, but I know I've yammered about this before, but I... Uh, do you ever hear that thing about how gamblers feel the beats more than they do their wins? Mm-hmm. That's how I am as a fan. Like I'm old enough that you know there's still losses that stick out to me more than Super Bowl wins. They really do, and you know. So I can understand if you're like you know 30 and under, and you listen to that show, and it's just three guys that are just, especially those two. But I mean, I'm I feel like I'm at times. More, well, the show is balanced. I think people. I think people sometimes, you know, they cherry pick and they hear things and that's just how, you know, that that perception that ends up becoming their reality, you know? Yeah. So, um, for me, though, like, I just, you know, there's things that th- I always just have that kind of a slant. Like, I just, I, I think that's just how I am as a person. I'm a glass half empty type of person. I'm a negative prick. Um, there's... There's things that I obviously like and I'm passionate about, but what I, I I hate and don't like, I hate passionately, and what I like, I like passionately. But with sports and these teams, I just, I don't know, even after all this success, I know it makes no sense. After the last, you know, close to 20 years here, I still expect the worst. Well, they call them your formative years for a reason, because you're formed in those years. And I just feel like being at Fenway in the 90s and being at Fenway now is not it's not the same building it's no, not the same not air there's not the same life in the place and so it's w- what you came from clearly still is there and even the garden in the 90s and things like i mean it was it was a pretty miserable time to, it, to in boston sports for it, the most part even those mid 90s pat to late 90s pats it was it, brief yeah and but, they kind of felt like pretenders like going um, into the super bowl 36 Oh, no one no. was See, like, I, no one was like, they're definitely going to beat the Packers. Defensively, though, they had some real yeah. studs on that team. I mean, and, and that were left over too, like you know, yeah. McGinnis and, and Ty Law, and thankfully that they proved it when Belichick, a real coach, came here. Johnson, Brewski. Um, it's not like Bill Parcells wasn't a real coach, but the way that he left them high and dry, then it becomes Pete Carroll. And that ninety-seven and ninety-nine stretch was just so god awful. And I just there was at, at the end of that, and then Belichick came in, and at the time, you know, people forget about this, but. I, unless you're still old, an old grump like I am, like people wanted Dom Capers. Dom Capers was one of the names that was out there as a head coach. I know I wanted Dom Capers, and they hired Belichick after he screws the Jets. And all I know about the guy is that he flamed out in, in Cleveland. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. Yeah, I remember they went what four and twelve, and then they start the next season zero and two. Right. And I remember, I remember specifically saying to my grandfather, like, oh, there's the defensive genius Bill Belichick, huh? Wow, great job, Bill. Four yeah. and fourteen so far. Yeah, and so I never, you know, it's still even. I that, was fifteen for the record, so <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm absolved. Even that old one run. I was like, this is this is this is this is fool's gold. Like this is going to catch up with them. And even that Super Bowl, where, you know, they're fourteen and a half point underdogs. I'm like, okay, like when's this going to open up? When's this going to open up? And that's still like one of the, the my favorite moments as a sports fan mm-hmm. of my life. Especially in that AFC Championship game. Like that whole one run was ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I would have died happy with just that. I never thought I was going to see that team win one Super Bowl in my life. Let alone go to seven and win five. It's insane. I think that gets lost too. People like aren't thinking about that in. Like if you asked anyone in 04 if they what they would do for one Reds to see one Red Sox World Series in their lifetime, it would have been I mean they had that stupid little MasterCard fake commercial with Dennis Leary or whatever. Yeah. And it's like that was the mindset. And now it's like all these the, the complaints you see today compared to what people were saying in 04, like I would give up three of my children to see the Red Sox win the World Series. It's crazy. Yeah. So just so in, in case anyone doubts it, and I, I know this sometimes happens with younger people that I go back and forth with on Twitter. 
Like I just, it's not, it's not an act. Like I'm a negative prick. I still expect the worst to happen, even though again, it makes zero sense after all of the success here in the last close to 20 years, especially when it comes to the Patriots. I didn't mean to say you're like a negative, uh, hopeless person, just more, just your sports takes tend Uh. to, but, but then you're not like, you're not a forced sports taker either. Like no, you, so oh, go ahead. Go, no, no, you go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, I just I think of the, your your predecessor in that third seat was Beetle, yeah. who would sit there and basically wait for Felger and Maz to say something stupid or or you know a little bit over the line, not you know like anything serious, but you know something that wasn't the greatest point, and he would fight them and he would point out the inconsistencies and he would call them idiots. Whereas you're more like, well, you know, I'll let Tweedledee and Tweedledum do what they got to do until you have something you actually feel strongly about yeah that's that's a perfect assessment and i know that you know some people that are hardcore sports radio listeners they you know that might be a detriment in terms of me as someone on the show or on the station because i'm just i can't do it i'm not i i don't i'm not gonna argue to argue i hate that as a listener of sports radio i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it that's not me i know that works for some people i just you do like it uh, you like it <laughs> to uh, arguing to argue. I just think is it's a brutal listening experience. It's not enjoyable for me. I mean, there's things that I have gotten passionate about, and we've gone back and forth about. Like you know, for one thing that immediately comes to mind is like how Mike thinks that running backs are completely irrelevant right. in football, and which is clearly not the truth. Right, and it's a copycat league, and the the league here, the, the NFL has certainly followed the college football's lead here in the last you know five to ten years and they're they're doing it now you're yeah. seeing it happen they're drafting running backs in the top in, in the top of the draft it's changing it's look going at, back to what it used Chiefs to be this year to last year what was their big change yeah, it was Kareem Kareem Hunt, Hunt, right who's like a, a franchise altering type offensive player yeah. in what eight weeks we I mean, know that i mean there was a stretch here you could make a case that todd Gurley was the mvp of the league mm-hmm. early so it's that's changing so there's things that I'm, if i'm passionate about it yeah i'll like get snippy about but to like have that rah rah like old school uh, big show argument type stuff. Like, I just, I can't stand that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, and Felger had said it on the show with Beetle, like, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like, Felger would admit it. Like, it's, he said, I think he said Beetle has the easiest job in the world because he sounds like the smart, reasonable, thoughtful person because he just attacks them for their idiocy. Whereas you just sort of, you, you, if it doesn't bother you, you let it linger. Yeah. Which I think is more, not more authentic, but for your role, it's pretty authentic. Yeah. Cause there's, and there's certain stuff like, you know, even go back, um, you know, your baby, Deflategate, like, there was a lot, wow. and that's early, and that's when I really started with the show, like, a lot of that, and there was times I even doubted myself, I was like, okay, I'm happy I'm here, and I'm, I'm lucky I have this job, but I'm like, <laughs> this is what this is every day, like, I, I don't care about this story enough, I don't, I don't, I think that, that they were complicit somehow, I thought the NFL was certainly too heavy-handed with the penalty, and can that just be it? Like, why do we have to go into the nuance of all of this and start and keep arguing about it and taking all these calls? I hate it. I well, hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And well, I know I'll the tell rating, you right now. <laughs> the, the, the ratings certainly prove that people cared about it. Uh, but I just my my two note factor, Mike, with that story was it was real fast. Yeah. So there were certain days I'm like, I got nothing here, and I'm not going to add because I'm just going to sound like an idiot. And frankly, I just kind of don't care. Well, so, it wasn't sports anymore. It really right. wasn't sports, and I can speak to that. It, I was not covering sports for quite a while there. I was covering. God knows what yeah. human sociology sort of more than anything else. But and there's certain terms from that whole time too that I hate that I know. Like just because, oh, so it's a me. That's the that's the one because <laughs> I just saw someone tweet about that with this whole thing going on with Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott, and I'm like, I know what that means, and I hate that I know what that means. Hong bonk, <laughs> you know. That was a good one. It was it was a great time in human history. I'm yeah. sorry you didn't get to really soak it in the way I did, but I mean. You do tend to, you know, keep it real and honest in that. So you said you kind of tuned out then. Are there days in your life and like 
March or July where you get to work. I, I have it myself where I'm just like, I have nothing to contribute today. But the thing with me is I have enough different things in my job to sort of, uh, you know, get this done, get that work done. But there's no microphone in front of my face. Is it hard on some of those days to like really, um, like like July 22nd? So yeah, that week of the MLB All-Star break's tough. Um, but, you know, it's funny. And so there was a lot of vacations. This, this particular year, it wasn't that bad. And we had fun with it because of the, the way that the va- uh, vacation schedule worked out. Yeah. One of those days I worked with Beetle. And uh, and we had fun just talking about Amazon Prime Day. Oh yeah! So you know that like that was actually pretty good. You know if it, if you're with someone and it's going to be a little bit more open and it's not just going to be like sports, 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 sports. You can have fun with it, and you know there's ways around it. You can still have uh, I think an entertaining three to four hours. Um, but there's you know there's obviously you know there's lulls in the schedule that that stretch there in the summer. Um, even though, you know, there's winter sports going on with the Bruins and the Celtics, there's sometimes around like the NHL all-star game, the NBA all-star game in the winter. It's like, it's like game 59 of the season. And it's just, you know, there's nothing at stake on a Tuesday night. And outside of the hardcores, like, I mean, how much can you talk about a second week of February Celtics game against Utah? You know what I mean? Like, so there's days that it does feel like a struggle, but again, like compared to a real job, like putting up drywall or breaking rocks for a living, (laughs) like my God, none of us should ever complain. Or even compared to another city, like Salt Lake doing sports talk in in all those other months is probably difficult. So Mormonism, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Milk. I like it. (laughs) How many wives you got? Give us a call. (laughs) But do you ever, do you ever notice, and I, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, noticed this, but you have... Uh, you have, but it happens. And if either you or Maz have an opening take that's particularly negative, Felger is like a little kid on Christmas. His eyes are all lit up, and he's like, "Jim has a take. Jim, why don't you give us your take?" Oh, it's and f- then you'll deliver it, and he'll be like, "Wow, that's that's pretty negative, Jim." That's funny you say that because that's a really good observation too. Because recently, the last couple of Fridays, because you know with the way that um, Agenda Free Friday is, it's like, okay, your take, your take. Mike holds his. I'll usually last. give it second, or you know, in the second segment. And these last couple of Fridays, mine have been particularly negative because they've been Patriots related. And I believe what I'm saying, I do, you know, what I've said, especially with them not trading Jimmy Garoppolo, which I was vehemently against. And I felt like they should have taken advantage of the Brady window and surround him with talent. It's been stuff around that. And at, when we've been done, it's that he's like, huh. Oh, that was that was hot. That was pretty, that was pretty negative. That That's, was pretty a whopper, yeah. That's a whopper, Jim. That's a whopper. Everyone get mad at him and not me for right. once. Yeah, and then come the tweets of, uh, yeah, kiss Felger's ass some more. You just want to be Felger. It's like, no, I, you know, I don't think that Belichick's the Almighty, and everything that he has done has been one hundred percent correct. Just look at some of the moves this off season. Yeah, so. he's done that. I mean, he obviously painted me to be a certain way, and then whenever I say anything, I'm like, wow, Harley, that's a sneaky, that's a sneaky negative take from you. And <laughs> right, I'm like, yeah. no, that's a human thought that came in a brain. But right. he does enjoy it. I think he enjoys he enjoys what he is. But I think whenever like you or Maz is going to be the bad guy, he gets really happy about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. That even happened yesterday with your, you. I guess you didn't fulfill your email rage that that came through on air, and he was sort of let down. Yeah, and that happens a lot. And uh, you know, it's funny. I sometimes when I look back. Because I, I'll even question myself sometimes when that happens. I was like, "Why? What, what was? What was he breaking my balls about?" And sometimes I know how I am in the morning. Like I'm a <laughs> extra grumpy in the morning, especially when I haven't had coffee. And sometimes I'll fire off that email, the email chain, and it's just like uh, it's like a missive from a lunatic. I actually, you know, I'm I'm an, ed- an editor. You could say that I, I help run a website. I've been privy to some of your show emails. Those should be published. Yeah, <laughs> those things are hot. Yeah, they're. Like, uh, it's like it's it's like been sent from a man that lives in a cave. Really. <laughs> yeah, it's like that message should actually self destruct. Yeah. after it should be like you should send it via Snapchat, and everyone sort of gets an idea of it, and then it's gone because. 
those things are toasty. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a combination of lack of caffeine in the mornings. I think that sometimes contribute to that. So. But and you know you you are pretty laid back, I would say, and you don't take it overly serious. I think you understand sports place in society, oh, not definitely. really. But at the same time, you do have. And you mentioned it before. Your feelings toward the Patriots are almost unhealthy still. Despite oh, all that, totally. Um, yes, yeah, like when I hear you talk about February third, two thousand eight, it's it's like we're on the couch. It's like you're on the couch and we're all listening, and it's it's definitely seems unresolved. There was a voicemail that thankfully my friend has since deleted. That would I mean I would never get a job again. Uh, I just because he was at the game and I told him to do horrible things to Giants fans. Like I yeah, and it's still to this day. And so I um you know we talked about the uh, you know watching the games in the in, in the press box and whatnot and. It's still, like, I love being out and, like, you know, outside of, like, not being able to get drunk. I love being in the crowd watching these games. It's one of the better opportunities I've had with the, you know, this Patriots.com thing that I've been doing. And it's funny. After all, after seeing how the sausage has been made here, now being able to work uh, in sports talk since 2010, I'm still not jaded with the Pats more than anything else. Like, I I still am, you know, it, I'm happy about that. I've, I've done, I've taken certain steps. Uh, to make sure that I can still be a fan with really all of the teams. It's like, I don't ever really want to have to go in the locker rooms. I don't. I don't want to know these guys because I still want to be able to. I think once you do that, you you pass that line, I think you can get corrupted either by the players or the team or you see something that's going to turn you off. Like Tell you what, though. The opportunity to go into the Falcons locker room on Sunday night was prim- primo prime opportunity. Oh, there. if you get to go to the opponent's locker room, that would be, yeah, that would be fun. But for the team you root for, eh, I don't know. And I've had to do it a few times and it's just, I don't know. Sometimes when I do it, I'm like, nah, I don't want to be part of this. I just want to still be a, a, you know, be able to criticize and be a fan and and have it that way. Right. Keep the fire alive. Or else, what are you really doing? Yeah. If, if you don't really actually have some sort of mind to it. I think Bob Ryan made a good point of that like many years ago. He's like, if you don't have any connection to being a fan, then you're not really a part of it. Right. Like, what are you doing in this format? And I think, you know, even just uh, not here, it, definitely not here, but I've listened I listen to a fair amount on, like, Sirius and other stations. Like, you can tell people who just are there because they're just trying to collect a paycheck. Or to serve their own agendas, or yeah. to, you know, sell books, or... Oh, to sell books, definitely, yeah. Any, any number of reasons. All right, you've given me a lot of time, so I've got rapid fire. Sure. Rapid fire. You can answer as quick or long as you want, but these are going to be short questions. Is tell Felga this the most more annoying part of your life? Uh, no, no. I, you know, for any dude, there's so many options now of people of what they can listen to or just in terms of entertainment that if anyone cares and it comes up, uh, even if they're a holes, like I, I genuinely appreciate that because people have so many other options than that they actually spend some time to listen to that show that I'm a part of. Like, I appreciate it, I really do, even if someone's kind of annoying. That's true. I've learned that with the podcast. It's like, oh my god, you listen to my podcast? Yeah. Like, whoa, I owe you like a bouquet. Right. Anyways, why, you used to be a very strong opinion haver on food on Twitter, and yet you seem to have quit the game. Was the heat too much for you? No, there's just, I felt like it kind of got to be uh, oversaturated a little bit, so I've, um, I guess I, you know, I- Can I, handle the heat? I don't know if I've consciously dialed that back. I just kind of stopped for a little while, because mm-hmm. there was, I, I, it did get to a point sometime where it was like every single day, it was like some kind of food take. <laughs> what do you feel about stuffed shells? Yeah, but if someone asks- Garbage! <laughs> but if someone asks and I see the tweet, like, I'll definitely answer it, you know? Those were the days. Those were the days. You said at the time you, you didn't do politics Twitter, but I think food takes Twitter can really devolve into that quickly. Yeah, oh no, people can- food Twitter gets real angry real fast. <laughs> What'd you say about whoopie pies? Yeah, I can't believe that you actually- <laughs> (laughs) like Teddy Peanut Butter. (laughs) 
which you actually, you know, that was a good deal for you. They, <laughs> they enjoyed your takes. Uh, food item you can't live without? Uh, sriracha. Interesting. The real one, too. Any of the knockoff ones are disgusting. They taste too sugary. The real deal sriracha uh, that has the documentary made about it on Netflix with the green cap. The chicken on it. Yeah, that's, I can't. I, I, I mean, I literally keep packets of it. You can buy packets of it now mm. on Amazon. I keep a bag full of packets of it in my car. <laughs> I can't. I can't be without it. I love it. All right, food item that should be fired into the sun: celery. Celery. Come on. Celery is the worst. If you want to ruin any dish, put celery in it. Come Outside on. of a soup, like you have to have it as part of the stock. But celery, if you put it in tuna, you ruin. What the about tuna with sandwich. peanut butter? No, just eat it with a spoon. That's uh, stupid. Yeah. It's, and it's that's two completely different contrasting tastes. Delicious peanut butter, and we're gonna throw celery, wet like crunchy water into the mix. Mm. I hate it. Oh, mm. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Nothing ruins tuna and chicken salad like celery. Get off my pot. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I actually wrote this one down before you told me you had like eleven jobs at the same time. So I'm just a really good interviewer and preparer. What is the weirdest job you've ever had? Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. weirdest job I've ever had. Um. I guess maybe working at. Uh, I mean, I, I was uh, I, I slang lobsters at James Hook Lobster Company, um, and that was one of the wackier jobs I've definitely ever had. Oh, and I was uh, I ran a hot dog cart in the Boston Common for one of my dad's friends when I was a teenager. I lied about my age. I was actually fifteen. The, the dude wanted me to be seventeen, and uh, and uh, there's yeah. a lot of responsibility that comes with the hot dog cart. Oh yeah. Oh god. Uh, and I had some we had some weird stories from that job that uh, you know for another time or man, I can tell you off the air. But yeah, there was uh, how many dogs per day were you down in there at fifteen? You could probably put down like eleven. So we healthily. were that cart was literally right in front of the park. What is that park? The Green Line there. Park Street. Park Street. Um. Oh God! There was times it would be hundreds. Like we would go through. Did, no, did, you personally put in your belly. Oh, not many. I like but don't love hot dogs. Mm. So I was probably a necessity to work a job like that. Yeah, I would just like pound Gatorades and just kind of stand there and people watch and just you know watch junkies fall all over themselves and then have to throw water on them. Sometimes that was one of the more interesting things that it's would an happen. Interesting there. place. Yeah. It still has its character, like very few places in Boston do. Now you do a lot of, of advertising reads. You do a lot of live reads on the radio. Yep. Uh, you do the Pandora reads. You also throw in F and Hicks when you do reads at F and X. Have you ever had any Ron Burgundy moments? Non-intentional, like the one that you mentioned, but any moments where you just read something you're not supposed to? Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, I've done it here. Um, yeah, that happens. I mean, it's 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 bound to happen. You, you know, it's even if it's during a live read, sometimes you look and it's like. Uh, be up, t you know, be up, uh, uh, uplifting and bright. And it's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. So yes, that's, <laughs> that's happened. All right. Uh, you've probably met a number of musicians over the years, maybe mm -hmm. back in the days. Who has anyone made you actually, or any celebrity sports otherwise made you actually starstruck? Uh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell was the one guy that I literally got up to and was like, die, uh, die, <laughs> I had nothing, nothing to say to Bill Russell, and this was pre-cell phones, really. So it was probably like, uh, when was this, like 98, 99 or something like that. And uh, I didn't even get a photo with him, like any of that. And I just was, and that was someone I, you know, obviously wasn't around to watch, but had grown up, my dad talking about him, reading books about him. And it was like, this is one of the, you know, the all-time, not just Celtic greats, but greats in sports and in this town. And, in, like, and I just, I had nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> All right, uh, and then any who was the biggest rock a hole you've came across? Um, mostly, so on the unfortunate thing, it's mostly stand up comedians. Huh. But keeping in mind that a lot of stand ups who had worked the night before or probably were doing a bunch of drugs or getting you know effed up in some way seven thirty in the, night in the before, morning. Yeah, they come into the morning show in Lynn. 
Yeah, in Lynn, and they sit there, like, they're not going to be in the best of moods. So as I've, I've gotten older, I've gotten less angry about it, because I remember sitting there at the time, I'm like, this guy's a prick. Yeah. Uh, David Cross, um, which was unfortunately, because I loved Mr. Show and anything that he, and loved him in Arrested Development, yeah. but this was pre-Arrested Development. Seems like he's a jerk based on recent news. Yeah, but he was a prick. Um, who's the guy that was uh, Insomniac that used to be on Comedy Central? David Tell. David Tell was a giant douche. Um uh, Richard Lewis was a prick. Uh, I could kind of see all these, really, though. Yeah. Um, oh, who else? In terms of musicians, though, um, oh, everyone's the one. I didn't really have any like horrible. Uh, oh, there was this band. Actually, <laughs> there was this band. So, I mean, we played so many stiffs at FNX, but there was this band called uh, "Does It Offend You?" Yeah, which was a line from the British Office, and they had like one Z-level hit that like these bullshit. Uh, alt rock stations that you know would play right. probably for pay, and they were playing the best music poll, which was our you know like our concert. You know how BCN used to have the River Rave, yeah, and they were one of the baby bands that were playing it. And I didn't know anything about them other than that they were called "Does It Offend You?" Yeah, because it was a David Brent line from The Office, and that's how I started this BS interview that I had to do. That we you know we all got assigned some band that we had to interview for the day, and I got them. And I was I started the interview by I was like, oh, I was like, so like you probably got it before, but I'm like, I just want to confirm, does it offend you? Yeah, like you got that from David Brent from the office. And the guitarist literally went, Ugh. <laughs> and it this is another one of those things if I could go back and relive the moment, I would definitely change I always I I'm a like let me tell you this about as much as I can sometimes come off as a prick, like I'm always afraid of losing these jobs. I always am. And so there's sometimes I catch myself and afterwards want to beat myself up because I'm like, oh, you should have just said what you wanted to say. Be- but I'm always, I'm always, Mike, I'm always fearful of losing these jobs. I am because I know how they end like that. Like, so. But in retrospect, knowing how that one ended, you probably wouldn't have minded being yeah, more. Oh, and it, I remember being filled with immediate hot rage. And I think the world of guys like Toucher and, and, and people that immediately will just go with that. Like, they feel that and they're going to go with it, F it, even if they get fired. And I just was like, I just kind of tanked it from there and asked a couple of BS questions from there and just got up and like kind of stormed off. But I wish I just laid into that guy and said, you know, hey, good luck playing to the rest of the to empty seats, you prick, in this band that nobody's going to give a rat's ass about. I just, I don't know. I, as I've gotten older, maybe I, I, I have a little bit more of a confrontational side to me right. if, that, if I was uh, faced with something like that. But at that time, I know uh, initially, too, I was like, don't say anything stupid because the record label guy was standing right there, too. They're playing your show. Yeah, and it's like... Well, I think in the long run, it worked out. You you made it more than, does it offend you? Yeah. Yeah. So that you but obviously, go- it bothers me if I still remember yeah. something that dumb from, you know, seven, eight years ago, whatever the hell it was. None of us really ever get over anything, if you want to be that's, honest about yeah, it. That's true. Uh, very quickly, because I know you got to go. Does anything in sports besides schadenfreude make you happy uh sure i mean the pats wins i mean that super bowl 51 victory is the best that i got to go to that and be there for that is the like the best sporting event thing i'll ever be associated with in my life like that's i can't believe that i was there for that i, I still can't even comprehend that that comeback happened so yeah i uh, know well you know wins still make me happy and um going to Patriots games, road games that I've done, a buddy of mine I've done for like, I think now 11 or 12 years, whatever it is. We just went to New Orleans in week two. Um, yeah, traveling for road games still gets me pumped. Not on a bus. Uh, the bus was overall, I mean, now that I can look back at it and be it, removed it from it. It was out a little bit. It was fun. Yeah, we were ready to kill each other by the end of it. <laughs> um, no, I got time for a few more if you had any left. But uh, yeah, road games for Pats, 
being at Pats games, Pats wins, going just going to a lot. I still even going to Celtics games and Bruins games live. Bruins games to me, NHL experience live is so much better than on television. Going like I just I still am a fan when you get to go to a, a building and just like have a couple of suds and watch right. watch your team. Right, still there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, do you have any takes that you've delivered over the years that you regret? Sports takes. Um, Sports takes only. Hmm. Sports takes only that I delivered that I've regretted over the years. Uh, oh, sure. I'm sure that I have. Um, I, I don't remember what. And there's nothing that immediately comes to mind. I never saw, thought Brady was done. I, or, you know, that was. I came in after those guys were doing any of that, and I certainly wouldn't have agreed with. Uh, wouldn't have agreed with that if they were saying it. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think if I've <laughs> said it, I've said it because I felt it. So good. Yeah. Good. Now you, uh, you know, you've you've talked about your intuition toward toward knowing how things are going to work out. What is, and you're a radio guy, so no one better ask, what is the future of terrestrial radio? Because it seems to be something no one has the answer to, but maybe you do. Uh, I don't. Uh, <sighs> I think, uh, so I think that it's still extremely viable, and the ratings back this up, uh, for certain formats in certain cities. And that's a long way of saying uh, sports radio will continue to be viable and will work in cities like Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Dallas, uh, outposts where the passion is maniacal, you know. So, and it's such an it's such a there's such an immediacy to sports, and the same goes for news talk. I think too, yeah. um, and especially right wing news talk because people are certainly more passionate on that end of it. I feel like, uh, so you know, it's I, just more entertaining anyway. I, yeah, I think that will continue to be able to make money, and thankfully, uh, you know, that I've been able to luck into working in this format, uh, but music. Is doomed. I, I I don't. I'm so happy. I don't work on that end of it anymore. Um, it's unfortunate. I still think it can. I still like it as a listener, but I I don't know, man. Like I, it's 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 a race to the toilet along with newspapers. You know, like who knows what the the end game is? But it it's is it sustainable for a music radio station five ten years from now? Absolutely not. It's hard. Yeah. But I mean, with Spotify, where literally in your pocket you have every song ever recorded. Yeah, and you pay the ten bucks a month. You you know, unless, if, unless you're on an extremely tight budget, and it's not going to hurt you, ten bucks a month. Like, who cares? So you don't have to deal with the it's commercials. Like, hey, I want to listen to the Third Queen album right now. Yeah, and you can. It's crazy. Yeah, I'll never get over that. And there's some part of me that always I'm like, you're a radio guy. What are you doing? You're helping them. But uh, dude, I pay for Spotify. I love it. Like I use it all the time. But if I pay for Pandora, then I can't hear your voice. So it's a kind of a tough. Yeah. That's a tough one. No. I'm sure you don't pay for that then. Uh, no, you know, you I, get the premium, but you want the ads. Yes. You got to hear how they're coming through. Yeah. Speaking of which, last thing, I'm putting you to work because, uh, you are a professional voice talent and I need you to record my new intro. It's very quick. So let's hear it. Uh, is what's with all the, the... the written down the bottom. Okay. Uh, pen. The I just wrote it. <laughs> you're throwing in like, I threw a carrot at... in there. It was a quick edit. I wrote it while you were answering a question. Carrots and, and it looks like, uh, okay. All right. Here we go. Hey nerds, open up your ears and get ready to listen to the Hurley edition. One more time. Three, two, and one. Hey, nerds, open up your ears and get ready to listen to the Hurley edition. Nice. Now I have a professional intro, <laughs> not just my Blink-182 slash Offspring ripoff that uh, opens it up. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming in. I think I hope you had a good time. I did very much so. Thanks, Hurley Bird. As uh, Fred put it, I could talk about myself all day long. So maybe that's a that's a common theme I need to tap into. Because oh, definitely. I mean, it's the radio business. It's which is an, it's any of these type of uh, jobs, Mike, are like the please love me business. Like we all are. We we have a hole we're trying to fill. So it's like please love me. I want to talk about myself. And please be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Yes. All yeah. right. Thank you. Bye. There you have it. Big Jim Murray. Thanks for coming in. You can catch him. Every single day 
on the Felger and Maserati program. Felger and Maserati program. You can catch them on Saturdays with Gasper on the radios on 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can catch them doing pre and post on Patriots.com. As far as I know, I'm usually working, so I can't really tune into the internet. But most people can, so check them out. Thank you for coming in, Jim. That was nice. And, you know, thanks for listening. I know, uh, like I said, I appreciate any and all podcast listeners. That's a pretty cool thing that you did for me, and I owe you all individual long-stem roses. Just one, but I think that's a nice gesture by me to you. Um, I mean, maybe it's the nicest gesture any podcast host has ever had to his listeners, but that's just the kind of guy I am. So there you go. All right, listen, you know, uh, share it, subscribe, uh, make a review maybe. Like, you know, like I said, I want a four-star review because five is like, all right, well, I, you know, you're basically telling me that I've accomplished all there is to accomplish, and that's not true. There's, there's always needs to be a carrot, but also it's a pretty good podcast. So let's go four and say, you know, it's great, it's great, it's great, but let's work on this. And then, you know, we can all get better together. That's what we're all here for. All right, thank you. See you next time.